cornichons, de la moutarde, du pain de beurre, des petits oignons, des confitures et des odeurs, des cornichons, des cornets de et des biscottes, des macarons, un tire-bouchon, des petits beurres et de la bière, des cornichons. Good morning Good and morning. welcome to... The secret, the secret ingredient. ingredient. <laughs> We're gonna do everything together today. Um, it's it's Wednesday, June the seventeenth. <laughs> I think so. And this is the approximate date. This is the approximate. Well, the date. weather will be next. We'll narrow it on that soon. Um, yeah. And <laughs> and we're really happy to be back. Um, we're broadcasting from CFRU 93.3 FM, which is located on tra- traditional Attawandron territory. And this morning, we're going to be welcoming um, Jacob Wren to join us on the show. Jacob uh, makes literature performances and exhibitions, um, and he is... A master at bridging optimism and pessimism, uh, love, fear, and failure. And he's been writing for many, many years. And you might be familiar with some of his books, such as Unrehearsed Beauty from 1998, Families Are Formed Through Copulation, 2007, Revenge Fantasies of the Politically Dispossessed, 2010, and the most recent polyamorous love song from 2014. Um, there's also a really beautiful little chapbook that was uh, published by Boondoggle, and it, I believe it's distributed by Book Thug, and that came out in May of this year, uh, and it's called If Our Wealth is Criminal, Then Let's Live with the Criminal Joy of Pirates. And we're going to be talking with Jacob a little bit about his writing, as well as his performative uh, and collaborative practice as an artist. So... Um, maybe what we should do is get started with a song that Jacob has selected for us and uh, bring you back and let you meet the man himself. That's very exciting. Um, so we're going to play Odyssey, um, and this, the track is Own Appeal. So play that and we'll bring Jacob on the line. The main focus for my music whether it be the production or the lyrics is my travels, you know? The outside environment really plays a huge part in what I make. I write all my rhymes outside, you know? Every city I go to, I set up my studio in the hotel. I make the beats during the day. I start coming up with ideas, and I just hit the streets and start walking, and whatever I see really kind of inspires me. It may not be literally, but it always finds a way into my music. The streets and cities is my main inspiration. to be born and that's no question the sun still shining off the same old lessons then why does life feel like an educated guess in my thoughts like meals i'm a sucker for the seconds impressions got a lot of us stressing but how we all perceive is more about a reflection and the reception's warm that i receive which leads me to believe these hoes like what i eat tall women in heels tall money your deals man off the no wall i like all money for real more time abroad and less time at home less time for broads and more time for zones yeah i'm in it we're flying out of another one this a new beginning i'm climbing out of the other one could a dream feel realer than it ever been and i was aiming high like a nigga being president the possibilities of that is seeming pretty evidence being self-employed is now seeming like a definite Staying that way is what I'm effing with And like-minded people be the only ones I'm messing with Hey yo, this so real Now no one was saying, but I'ma go this steal Living in the moment, got a hopeless feel With the feeling in itself, got it so appeal I'ma 
through the lights in the distance The closer that I get and the brighter my wish gets Excited by the risk and the chances I'm taking I'm sure what I'm putting my faith in I'ma be alright I'm trying to get mine in this lifetime The afterlife is much further in the pipeline I'm inclined to believe that but the truth is That for death any moment is the right time So I live every day like it's my last But I plan for tomorrow as if I will never pass A fur on the subway You never dream the jets but fell asleep on the runways I just do that one day That anything I needed I come out Get everything you wanted ain't always good for your soul A mix of self-work, some help, little control And I don't know the rest Good as mine is your guess The recipe ain't the best To make it through is a quest And if you choose to accept The meaning of life is yes Cause only God knows Those of us in the flesh get the privilege to test And some are failed, some are passed We all get the same grade, no, but we run the path How you grade yourself is the mark that matters most To separate the heart of the strong and the better folks Have a dose Hey yo, this so real Now no one was saying, but I'ma go this steal Living in the moment, gotta hope this feel But the feeling in itself got its own appeal I'm attracted to the lights in the distance The closer that I get and the brighter my wish gets Excited by the risk and the chances I'm taking I'm sure what I'm putting my faith in I'ma be alright A young shit so real Kill shit to live, nigga skits so feel I got a hunger for knowledge and I miss no meals And stay high off life and I miss no pills I'm addicted to the thrill of walking along the edge And I know I'm realizing ahead but always knowing the deal I'm good with my decisions, the setbacks and gains is all a part of the game, I'm ready to spin the wheel Whatever is in store, I'm ready for for sure With the attitude of wealth and the gratitude of the poor The balance is the challenge and I sit so still Between callous and analysis, but there's no frill I'm off the chain, been that way since slaves and flayed From 93 till infinity, I'm stated in ways This etched in stone, the age where we market ourselves I'm still all about the music, I don't monitor plays I don't monitor the hits and I don't monitor the clicks I monitor the snare drum in the bottom of kicks Is anybody left to still fuck with this true shit? Well, let me hear you scream over top of this cool shit Yo, this so real Now no one was saying, but I'ma go this steal Living in the moment, got a hopeless feel But the feeling in itself got its own appeal I'm attracted to the lights in the distance The closer that I get and the brighter my wish gets Excited by the risk and the chances I'm taking I'm sure what I'm putting my faith in And I'ma be alright All right, all right. Um, that Are you was, doing your Matthew McConaughey impression? Oh, is that what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, that was uh, Washington, D.C.'s Odyssey. Um, Odyssey spelled O-D-D-I-S-E-E. That's correct. And uh, you're listening to The Secret Ingredient on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. Um, we've got Jacob Brand on the line. Jacob, are you there? Yeah. Awesome. So we did a little teaser intro to some of your writing and performative and collaborative practice um, before we had you on the line. Um, so you'll just have to trust us that we we introduced you with a, a lot of fervor and, and, and gusto. And gusto and, and yeah. ex- I trust you completely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, so we wanted to start with a couple of little little questions about uh, your practice and where you're from, and then get into some more specific details about collaboration and intimacy and this kind of thing. So um, we, we've we done a little bit of research, and um, we, we read a little interview with you and Book Thug, and we, we understand you are writing a new book tentatively titled Rich and Poor, um, which also has a very long uh, potential second title. Um, can you remind us first what that second title is and then tell us a little bit about this book? 
Um, sometimes my titles are so long that I, I, I'm not sure I remember them correctly, <laughs> but I believe it is Life is Very Short and Should Not Be Spent Crawling at the Feet of Miserable Scoundrels. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Truer words. And, and the, the uh, book, is it about a dishwasher who decides to kill a billionaire as a political act? Yes, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of, uh, a lot of my work uh, is about art and politics, and uh, um, I think maybe one of the ways uh, uh, art can uh, be part of the art and politics uh, conversation is to try and imagine what could be done. Uh, maybe not what could be done in reality, but what could be done in a kind of possible fantasy world or, or uh, if reality was a little bit more open than it seems to be. And uh, looking at the current political situation, the kind of uh, uh, we are the 99%, they are the 1% post-occupy political situation, uh, it occurred to me that uh, what if we just kill all the billionaires and, and uh, would that be a positive uh, political moment? Uh, maybe a little bit similar to the French Re Revolution. And uh, maybe my final conclusion is no, it, it wouldn't help as much as I would like it to. <laughs> but um, but uh, maybe it's, it's an admirable proposal much, then. Pardon? It's maybe an admirable pro pro proposal then. That, yes. Um, and, uh, but it is a book exploring uh, this possibility and really thinking about uh, what it would mean and uh, uh, what, uh, why one would do this and uh, how one would go about it. I, I think it's um it, that kind of theme it m must be a bit of a thread through your book. I I've re recently been revisiting Polyamorous Love Song, and and in it there's this this virus that will kill the the all of the right wing as well. Yes, I mean, I mean the left since I don't know when exactly since the seventies it's maybe been on a bit of a losing streak, right? And. Uh, when when one thinks about how to reverse it, I mean the power imbalances are getting greater and greater. It's harder and harder to imagine uh, taking on capital, which seems hmm. to have uh, grown to enormous dimensions. So maybe there's like a little bit of a like leftist desperation in some of these proposals. But mm -hmm. also, um, if if one can say like let's imagine anything and, and see what happens, I, I think there's a lot of uh, energy that can come from uh, just kind of reopening. Uh, uh, possibilities in the world of fiction. Mm -hmm. This is this is really exciting because um, it it really has an honest assessment of where the left is at this point in time. And some of the conversations that I've been having with artists lately, they're very skeptical about the left as a as a source of instrumentalization, as a source of confusion, as a as a um, a site with very, very little actual power that's visible on the surface and, and a lack of uh, ability to mobilize. And uh, and yet they're not calling for a middle ground either or a middle way. Um, and I'm wondering what your what your thoughts are on the left and if you can elaborate a little bit more on, on that desperation that you talk about. I mean, I think basically, I mean, the, the game is rigged and... Uh, I mean, if we talk about left, the left as being a kind of a counterpower against um, institutional power and against the rich and against uh, the ruling class, so to speak, uh, then it's always going to be a losing battle. But um, 
that's no reason not to give it everything we've got in a sense. Uh, the question is using what strategies and, and what's most effective. Mm. Uh, because um, uh, power is, uh, I mean, I, I know Foucault says power is discursive and is everywhere, and I also think this is true. But there is also uh, real power uh, by people who simply are in positions of power and uh, have uh, enormous amounts of capital uh, at their disposal. And, and in capitalism, uh, having capital is uh, very useful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think it's like um, there's no, I don't like, uh, you know, what the quote, uh, we must imagine Sisyphus as happy. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pushing this boulder up a mountain, uh, and it's never going to reach the top, and it, each night it's going to roll back. But um, uh, that the 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 importance of the battle isn't in winning. The importance of the battle is in kind of a, a never-ending battle. Uh, not that I think we should only lose, of course. I think we should strategize and think of whatever ways uh, whatever ways are most effective. But I don't think we can think of it as something that can be won. It's like a, mm. it's like a never-ending struggle. Mm-hmm. We had a really interesting conversation. Was it last week with the fast worms? Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how we can choose to be either losers or beautiful losers, <laughs> and that's the the Canadian choice in a way. To be, <laughs> if I understood them correctly, that that we we as Canadians we can choose to be beautiful losers, um, and their uh, somewhat dark underbelly of that. Um, philosophy is that you know, as humans, we're we're fleeting. We're not going to live for very long, and we're only mm-hmm. here on this planet for a short time. So, of course, we're losers. Um, and I, I, I find that quite lovely, actually. Totally, and that kind of sounds like it fits in with your conceptualization of the left, too, Jacob. That you, it's it's not so much as a strong political stance right now, but as an opposition to the kind of rich, wealthy, capitalist elite. Um, and so, um, I think what they were talking about with beautiful losers too are these kind of like these alliances between unlikely partners of. Um, queer folks and people who are um, all experiencing oppression in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still hope in the realm of ideas it's possible to change kind of general thinking on these questions. I mean, uh, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I found Occupy Wall Street quite inspiring in that I can now say, you know, the 1% and people know what I'm talking about and people know about that enormous accumulation of wealth that has happened uh, in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it does, in a sense, uh, make it clear what's happening and, and what we have to fight, which uh, prior to uh, Occupy Wall Street, I think, was um, not something everyone was as aware of. So I, I do think it's very possible to change our thinking around these questions in, in a way that does uh, create more possibility rather than less. Well, it gives us uh, a language with which to describe um, what it is that we all know in our hearts, and that that idea of the one percent is—it's something we can all we can all see it in a way. We can all um, live it and experience it. Um, yeah, we wanted to we wanted to chat a little bit about your your hometown. I guess it's not you're not originally from Montreal, are you? No, I grew up in Toronto. Yeah. I've been in Montreal about fifteen years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but you call Montreal home and um this is a this is a city with an incredibly rich history, um, both in 
an artistic realm and in the political realm. And we're wondering um, if you chose Montreal or if it somehow chose you and you just had to be there. Yeah, I mean, I, I moved to Montreal to work with this group uh, that I've been a part of for the past 15 years called PME Art. And it was a group that existed uh, before I joined it. Uh, it was a kind of experimental theater company, and uh, they invited me here to make work with them. Uh, the way I met them is they were running a, a theater festival called Le Vajour de Théâtre à Risque, uh, 20 Days of Theatrical Risk. <laughs> and uh, I performed at their theater festival, and then it lost all its funding. <laughs> Uh, because of your performance? Because of my performance. Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, after that, uh, they had an exchange with Norway, and the, the Norwegians had already come to Canada, and they had to send some Canadians uh, to Norway, and I, I became part of that, and, and we decided to continue working together after that. And uh, PME Art is a, a group of artists, but it's also uh, me, Sylvie, and Richard in the office every day trying to figure out how to keep it afloat. Mm-hmm. And it's been, uh, it's, I mean, it's been the best uh, collaboration of my life it's been really uh and it, the, the other strange thing about it it's a francophone company but i i haven't managed to learn french in my 15 years here so it's also this very uh, strange and awkward collaboration across languages and hmm. i'm wondering maybe if you can elaborate too on the um it sounds like there's a really active creative scene there too, um, and how how does the the kind of creative scene there play into and and feed off of the the politics of the place too? That really firm activist resistance. Do you feel like that's influenced your work? Yes, I mean Quebec politics is uh, endlessly confusing to me. Yeah. Of course, there's a there's a desire for a, an independent Quebecois nation, uh, very much based on language and. Um, it was a, a left-wing battle in, in the 60s, uh, as everyone knows, and uh, now with uh, uh, Pelado, uh, it, it, it's becoming a, a right-wing capitalist battle mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. independence. So uh, it's amazing to see how uh, the same battle that can start on the left can end up on the right. And, um, I mean, being here, the more I realize it's like a, it's a very emotional issue. I mean... Uh, uh, no one is convinced. I don't know if anyone's really convinced that, uh, in any practical sense, it would be better. But every uh, everyone who who wants to separate feels that it would be uh, very meaningful, kind of on a let's say an emotional level. But mm-hmm. maybe that's the wrong word. Uh, and also to protect the Quebec language and the Quebec uh, to protect what's uh, different about Quebec culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. You know, like the Parti Quebecois always says, it's a coalition for independence, and, and that means it's a coalition of left and right. So if you're if you're someone on the left who wants independence or someone on the right who wants independence, you're more than welcome in the Parti Quebecois. So this is a, a fascinating mm. uh, idea of a coalition between left and right for on a you know a single issue, mm-hmm. um, a huge issue. Uh, and uh, of course, um, independence um, colored all of Quebec politics uh, in so many ways. That and um, because my French comprehension isn't that much better than my uh, speaking, I, it's not. I don't get all the nuance of it. Uh, so this is, you know, a, a fascinating, long historical situation that, for sure, I mean, is just so much part of culture here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Um, I think in in Polyamorous Love Song, which I've been reading, um, and in uh, many of your essays, uh, we've been reading The Infiltrator here as well, which describes um, someone mobilizing against a kind of revolutionary movement. There's an investigation of kind of cataclysmic change, and I, I know there's a character in Polyamorous Love Song that's a character of an artist who's kind of admiring the mascot front, which is a kind of gun-toting group of mascot-wearing revolutionaries who are are enacting um, change through violence and through something larger than themselves, I suppose. Um, but I've also been doing some readings of, from your earlier work with uh, Peter Du Bois there in like 2009. There's this idea of critical optimism. So there's kind of a hopefulness on a more intimate level for person-to-person change instead of this kind of large, large-scale um Revolution. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about where where you think the potential for change lies. Is it in this massive revolution, or is it more on an individual negotiation? I mean, it's extremely unclear to me how change happens, how political change happens, how large-scale political change happens. I mean, I feel uh, like my lifetime has basically been... Uh, concurrent with the neoliberal revolution, and I've, I've only seen things get worse in my lifetime. Mm. Uh, so I, I've never really been part of uh, uh, any moment where I've really seen change happen. Uh, so it's an open question, and um, I mean, probably uh, a boring answer would be we have to fight on all fronts, and there's mm-hmm. no, uh, there's no, there's one, no way. one way. And, uh, uh, we need as many different uh, strategies and possibilities uh, as possible. Um, I mean, critical optimism uh, was an idea about um, looking at how awful everything in the world is, but still uh, finding kind of the energy to have hope and to have mm-hmm. possibility. And um, uh, there's a quote by uh, Brian Masumi from uh, the Mary Zernatsi book of interviews with philosophers on the subject of hope, where he says, if you focus on the big picture, the situation seems hopeless, but if you focus on the next small experimental step, mm-hmm. there's always some room for possibility. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's very true. Uh, uh, no matter how bad the situation is, there's always something that can be done. Mm-hmm. I like uh, the- and it's trying to think about what and how and, and what the best choices to make are in any given situation. Mm-hmm. And I like that and that, that uh, quote puts the emphasis on this idea of, a, of an experimental step as well, that there's an, there's an Im- amount of risk that's taken and an exploratory process that's undertaken in order to um, move things forward, that we can't use the same old tired methodologies. Yes, and at the same time, some of the old uh, methodologies still work. Mm-hmm. So some of the experiments can be trying them again in different situations mm. or with different emphasis or with a different spirit. Um, one of those methods that I think that's been um, explored more recently is this idea of art as a, a, a way of approaching change. Um, and I'm wondering what, how you see that fitting in. Do you... Do you s- do you see? A, I think, like in Polyamorous Love Song, it, there seems like there's a bit of conflict of this artist character who's kind of trying to decide where his place in this is. And I wonder if that's something that you've thought about too. Yeah, I mean, um, it's not clear to me. I, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, I mean, of course, there's a there's a 
been a, a lot of energy in the past 30 years around um, art as activism and mm-hmm. that artists need to leave the art uh, structures and, and become real activists, but bringing their skills and knowledge and rec- rhetorical efficacy as artists uh, to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's quite a beautiful idea. At the same time, I don't know um, if it's... Uh, I'm very nervous to say, you know, this strategy is better than that strategy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, there's room for everything. And uh, also, something that I often find saddens me about the left is there's a lot of infighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's the last thing I want to do to say any strategy is better than any other strategy, because I feel it uh, leads to a lot of kind of divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what's most important is that we find ways to... Uh, to support each other. Uh, at the same time, uh, probably my own work has more to do with like being a pure artist and writing novels and doing things in theaters or in galleries uh, where I try and raise questions and raise questions in different ways and get myself to think about these things in different ways and try and open up my own thinking around these questions. Uh, but I have enormous admiration for anyone doing kind of art as politics or really trying to uh, uh, do art as a kind of real activism outside of the art structures. And I do think the art structures are also incredibly conservative. I mean, I know um, if I make a performance that is more political, it will tour less. And if I make a performance that is less political, it's more likely to tour. Uh, There's the a very real connection. Kind of, um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, keep the conversation more in line with the status quo. Mm-hmm. There's a very real connection between that that lived experience of power and capital that that um, benefits work that is not critical of the system. I mean, the status quo is incredibly powerful. It, it, it's really uh, time and time again. I've been been shocked to to see how it reasserts itself on on so many different levels and so many different insidious ways. Absolutely. Um, Jacob, we're going to take a little break and play some music, and then we'll be back with our interview um, with you again. Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. Wonderful. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. 
little bit of Chebulu by Hailu Merja and the Walias. Um, thanks to Jacob Ren for suggesting for that. the suggestion. So it's time, folks. It's time for, for the corkboard. We wanted to feature one uh, one project that we're very excited about. Um, it's going to be opening this Friday. Uh, Bick Vanderpoel, who we've had the lovely pleasure of working with, are a, a Dutch duo who are based in Rotterdam, and they've worked uh, in Canada a number of times in Vancouver and in Sudbury. They're going to be featuring a new, com- newly commissioned project and in an exhibition called Eminent Domain at the Power Plant, which opens this Friday uh, from 8 to 11 p.m. This project is curated by Julia Paoli, and it continues their investigation on the ways that human activity in the globalized age has a direct impact and effect on ecological systems. So I'm really looking forward to that show. Um, and hope oh, to see you there. Yeah, it's going to be great. And Alyssa Frith Eagland, my lovely co host and eminent curator and writer, is going to be doing the Sunday Scene, which is an ongoing series that Powerplant does of investigations of their exhibitions. Mm-hmm. So Alyssa is doing the Sunday Scene this Sunday. At 2 p.m., it's free. Just pop by and we can and do a tour of the show together. Hear all about Big Vanderpool. Yeah, so that's going to be great. So we're in this. We're on uh, on air with um, writer, artist, performer, collaborator Jacob Wren, uh, who's on the phone with us from Montreal, and we've been talking about um, the power of organizing and and the left. We've been talking about activism. We've been talking about optimism, critical optimism, of course. Um, And we have a couple more questions that we want to dive into with Jacob. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Awesome. Wonderful. We love it when this actually works. It's (laughs) always a mystery. So, um, so we think a lot about collaboration and how collaboration functions because it's very uh, hard to pin down and hard to describe. And and yet, how we work together um, as a society, as artists, as creative individuals, as people who want to see a, a, a various possible futures, it's it's absolutely the cornerstone for, for that kind of work. And there's a beautiful essay in your most recent little chapbook, um, If Our Wealth is Criminal, Then Let's Live with the Criminal Joy of Pirates. Um, there's this, There's three pieces of writing, two stories and an essay. And the first story, The Infiltrator, um, tackles some of the unmentioned and unmentionable difficulties for the activist left uh, with a lot of candor. And there's a a brief quote that I wanted to read and then talk about with you, if if you don't mind. Yeah. so this is from that story in which an infiltrator is is joining a series of activist meetings. But to be effective, my suggestions must come at the right time. And now is definitely not it. It is still only the beginning, when most suggestions will be quickly forgotten, replaced by new suggestions, each idea distorting and confusing the last. And this process of distortion and confusion is a powerful metaphor for collaboration, because um, as as anyone knows who's been part of a collaboration, you become kind of distorted and confused when you work with other people and you distort and confuse them. So I'm wondering if you can wax on how collaboration impacts those involved, those people involved. I mean, something uh, I often uh, say about collaboration is, uh, for me, the hardest question when I'm in a collaboration is when to fight and when to compromise. Mm-hmm. And mm. I, I do think there's... Um, 
uh, a way in which um, uh, collaborations can uh, just kind of uh, be uh, kind of festivals of compromise where ideas get more and more watered down, <laughs> people trying to agree with each other. So I think there are moments where you really have to say, no, I think this is important. I have to push for it as hard as I am able to. And uh, But uh, kind of having uh, the wisdom and the self-awareness with oneself to try and uh, look at each idea one has and try and see what is uh, something that's really good for the project or for the group and when something is just your ego uh, mm-hmm. on a little temper tantrum uh, is, uh, is actually very hard in those situations, especially situations where there's been uh, long periods of negotiation and conversation and one's lost a certain degree of perspective. Right, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, I mean, there's the well-known Chantal Mouffe idea, Agonism, which is about how uh, uh, <laughs> democracy needs discord and, and democracy needs uh, argument. And I mean, uh, also, this probably has something to do with being Canadian, where uh, we don't want to fight and, and we want to uh, get along. And uh, But I do think there's... Um, like learning how to uh, fight and argue in a productive way. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm the best person. I mean, people who've worked with me might say it's a, a bit um, comical, me, me uh, pushing for this because uh, it's maybe not my what I'm best at. But I do think it's in, extremely important in these situations to learn how to really fight for something you think is important. Mm. And and it sounds like striking this balance between being cons- conciliatory and also having um, having a conviction and sticking with that conviction is is a really important one to play. And and I think you're right that it's hard to know when to fight and when to compromise because sometimes it seems somewhat arbitrary in the moment. Well, and even those terms fighting and compromise are still within this kind of a system of power over right that your idea could take precedent or um and and i think many of us want to negotiate in a in a different way in In an additive way way. yeah Uh, i don't think this idea of fighting and compromising is still within the idea of power i mean i think it's like um uh I, i don't think there are these ideas that spontaneously arrive from a group of people all at once. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, in a in a process of negotiation, uh, ideas did at one moment come from one person or from another person, and it's about how you uh, negotiate the ideas and improve upon them. I mean, I do think it's a kind of, in a way, mystical fantasy that a group of people in a room will get together and some idea will appear that feels like it came from everybody at the exact same moment. So I think... Uh, uh, it's it's like finding the the balance between the individuality and the the, the group, mm-hmm. and uh, you do not do that by pretending there's no individuals within the group. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do that by, uh, in a way, highlighting what each individual brings to it. I, so, absolutely, uh, I don't about power. I think it's about. I mean, and also, I mean, I love this kind of idea of best idea wins but when you start trying to um, uh, really do it you realize that well it's never clear what the best idea is and if you have uh, you know five people in the room maybe there's six different ideas about what the best idea is Hmm. so uh, then you need to think about what the various merit of different ideas are and why and and then uh, you need to um, try and clarify as powerfully as possible what you're actually doing and, and 
uh, uh, and then what ideas might lead to it uh, happening the way you want it to. Hmm. And there's maybe a power in, in fighting for your ideas respectfully as well within the context of um, a mutual interest in, in making something together. Yeah, and, and I think it's also about having something a little bit outside of yourself that you don't take so personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, you know, let's say an art project or an activist cause, it's not, um, I, I, I need to, like, unwrap my ego a little bit from it and, and, and see that uh, maybe someone else has an idea uh, toward this project that's better than anything I have. And if it's not my idea, uh, it, it's for the good of, of something outside of myself and something a little bit larger than myself. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can elaborate on on that a little bit. We we want to hear from you what the biggest shift you've seen in yourself and in, in your practice in your many years of collaboration and how you've been influenced by others. Wow, the biggest shift in my practice as a result of collaboration. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I, I always. I mean, you know, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh huh. I've always <laughs> had this feeling like. Um, it's very hard for me to see how things have changed. I mean, I, I've always found uh, collaboration extremely difficult, extremely painful. Uh, I've never enjoyed it. Uh, it's very confusing to me why, uh, considering I find it so difficult, I've, I've more or less dedicated my creative life to it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's some sort of uh, like belief in, in collaboration as an end in itself and uh, in searching for more egalitarian ways of working. As, as something that is value in and of itself, regardless of the results. Uh, I, I definitely um, believe in collaboration much, much less than I did, let's say, 20 years ago. Uh, less than you did. Pardon? You, le- you believe in it less than you did yeah. 20 years ago. I mean, I definitely had some sort of um, almost religious fervor for the value of a collaboration that's been completely beaten out of me uh, through uh, practice and actually trying to do it. Uh, and yet, as I say about a lot of things, um, even though I, I no longer believe in them, uh, as I once did, I'm, I'm still more or less working on the same things I started working on. And this is uh, what I sometimes do des- describe as a, uh, being like a priest who's lost faith but continues to give the sermon anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I have this feeling that um, uh, I don't believe in these things anywhere near as much as I did, but... The fact that I don't believe in them allows me to engage with them in a, let's say, more complicated um, and more um, uh, destabilizing way, uh, where, in a way, I can no longer really say why I'm doing most of the things I do. Does it? Uh, does your um a more limited belief offer you a kind of distance that makes the process of being engaged in collaborations more like research? No, I, I would say uh, I, I, I couldn't really say I have any distance when, I, when I'm in okay. a collaborative process, even though, I mean, I'm trying to have as much useful distance as possible. No, I would say it's more like... Um, I mean, it's more like life. Like, we don't know why we were born. We don't know why we're here. And we're trying to make the best of it anyway. And it's kind of a constant source or a, a constant process of investigation without a, a clear kind of direction maybe at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes uh, 
I think I've actually just made the wrong decision with my life, <laughs> and I should have done something more uh, on my own. It, it's uh, it's by no means clear to me that I'm on uh, uh, that all this um, engagement with collaboration was the right thing for me to do. So, mm-hmm. but I do I do think there's a kernel kernel of a search a, a desire maybe, and the desire is maybe not. Uh, connected to uh, a reality yet, but a desire for meaningful experiences and and meaningful connection. And and for me, I would say it's very much a desire to feel less lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I would say the work has mainly made me feel more lonely. So, yeah, I mean, all of these things is like a a feeling that maybe I'm doing it wrong. Well, and and as someone who has a, a particularly solitary practice as a writer, that that desire does make a lot of sense it it makes a ton of sense to to want to do that but at the same time i i can appreciate and respect this idea of feeling like um it's you're you're sort of still banging your head up against the same wall sometimes i feel like i've more, i've been working on only one project for the entire time i've been a curator it's just the same project over and over and over mm-hmm. again because I mean, we're maybe living i would the same say the, the major shift in my attitude towards collaboration is i now know how hard it is and there's no uh there's no longer any fantasy it's going to be easy right. mm-hmm. so i go into it thinking like this is going to be extremely difficult and let's, right. uh, <laughs> let's um let's work from there as a you know as a starting, as a starting point, point rather right. than an end point that's that's an incredible um offering to give our listeners i think to the realism of collaboration Mm -hmm. well i think we get we get we do get so wrapped up in ideals particularly in in our practices and socially engaged art practices and it's really important to to remember that collaboration is hard and people are full of their passions and feelings full of their themselves and their own ideas exactly and of course they should be finding a a middle ground between all of that is really difficult and if if collaborations are hard and finding consensus within a group of two or five people is difficult then imagine the scope of a nation i was on a panel in uh, germany and it was about collective processes and there was a guy um from Colombia, who said, uh, in Colombia, we have an expression that relates uh, very much to this collective uh, way of working. He who has the most spit wins. <laughs> he who spits the most. I think you're absolutely right. Um, Jacob, we have one question that we ask all of our guests, and we'd like to ask it for you now, and that's uh, what you think the secret ingredient in art is. Yes. I'm, sometimes I feel that the secret ingredient in art is art. <laughs> hmm. I, I, have, I, have, I mean, another thing that um, very much has uh, come to the forefront of my mind over, over the years is how little room for art there is in art. <laughs> hmm. how, how much of the structure and institution and uh, structural or institutional ways of thinking in and around art kind of keep out what I think of as art, which is uh, which is something in a way that um, any attempt to articulate it takes away a little bit from what one might mean by it. But uh, for sure, for me, art has to be something that um, uh, where you don't know everything about it when you start. Mm-hmm. So it's something kind of soaring and amorphous and questioning. Yeah. And we put so many kind of gallery and ego and economic parameters around it. Yeah, and I mean, if I think about, like, 
like an artist statement, which I'm, of course, asked to do over and over and mm-hmm. over again and, and do happily. Uh, it seems like almost the opposite of what uh, I'm trying to do when I actually make work, which is um, discover something that I'm not entirely able to articulate. Right. We had a guest uh, two weeks ago that was talking about her desire to kind of create a space between that someone could um, envision or insert their own narratives into. And I think that that, that ambiguity is... Oh, Steph Yates, sorry, um, was talking about this. And that ambiguity is a really powerful one, but it's a hard one for our systems to contend with, I think. And also, I, I, I'm always nervous about ambiguity becoming an end in itself, because I mm-hmm. think uh, ambiguity can be very apolitical in art, and I also want to have the uh, uh, the possibility to take a strong political stand in my work. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to this idea that there's too much structure and institutionalization and even an over-articulation of art that crowds out the actual artfulness, and I'm, I'm wondering if... Um, does that have something to do with our uh, Western civilization's obsession with knowledge systems and a particular kind of knowledge system? It probably does, yes. Mm. But, I mean, also, I think art is a Western idea. Yeah. I mean, so... That it's separate from, from life is very... Yeah, that's a very Western that idea. Is, uh, that it has um, some value in and of itself as a... Um, yeah, that creativity has value outside of living. Uh, I think that's a very Western idea. And then also um, separating things is a very Western idea, like we'll put art over here and science over here and, uh, I don't know, work over here, whatever mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. you want to separate out. Uh, and uh, these separations are, are very forced and very artificial and in a way very violent. Uh, so it's not... Even though I say that uh, these structures don't have as much room for art as I would hope, it's also, I, I'm never sure that art is good. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've dedicated my life to it and I, I love it, but uh, art is incredibly problematic and mm-hmm. incredibly wrapped up with um, a kind of um, problematic idea of over-individualism. Uh, where uh, the artist is, you know, this great individual who right. thinks up things out of the blue when, of course, all ideas come from conversation and from, um, I mean, any art idea I've had has probably come from hundreds of things people have said to me and hundreds of things I've seen and all those networks of uh, and relations are erased when I call it my work. Jacob, it's been such an incredible pleasure to have you on The Secret Ingredient this morning, and all of your offerings and gifts are sinking in and filtering down, and we're going to be thinking about them for the next few weeks. So thank you so very much for being on the show. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Great. Take care. Thanks. You too. Bye. We have been on the phone with Jacob Wren, a writer and artist from Montreal. Um, You're listening to The Secret Ingredient on CFRU 93.3 FM. We're going to play just one final song, um, Dry's Two or One Smoke Rings, which inspired Jacob Bren's polyamorous love song. Who's in your heart's not always who's in your bed You go looking for love and 
Close Your Eyes 201 from their album Smoke Rings. Um, thanks for joining us, everyone. You've been listening to The Secret Ingredient on CFRU 93.3 FM. Next week, we have the world-acclaimed artist Pablo Helguera coming at us from New York. Um, we're you don't super wanna, excited about yeah, that. Yeah, and you don't want to miss that one because that's going to be probably the last show that Danica will be co-hosting for a long time. So, Unless she comes back to visit us in Guelph. So folks, right. tune up your radios. Get ready next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Be there. Be square. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys.